Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the video cast where we not only teach you how to make money while traveling the world, but we also teach you how to publish your own book. And uh, I, I'm actually an uh, author, as uh, our regular listeners will know. I have a kids' book series all about the seven continents. I also have a book about fatherhood. And I'm always looking to publish more books and also to inspire others to publish their books as well. Uh, so on today's episode, you'll be learning all about how to get your own book out there into the marketplace. And we have an amazing guest on the show who's an expert in this area. Her name is Sarah Fox. She is the founder of The Bookish Fox. And you can check out her website at thebookishfox.com. And we're going to be talking all about the journey from going from a book in your head to getting the book out there, marketed, and monetized. So Sarah's joining us just from outside of Washington, D.C. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thank you. So why don't we get to know you a little bit better before we get into the whole area of book publishing and all. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you actually get into, into books and why did you become so passionate about it? Well, my first word was book, so I always felt destined I'd be involved oh, in books. I've right. loved them my whole life. Like, the fact that was my first word, disappointing my parents, but <laughs> loved the books. Uh, loved writing in high school, was the editor of the magazine, very involved with reading my whole life. And then in college, I did the English major track, uh, published an edition of Shakespeare then, and then went on to grad school, got my master's in uh, English language and rhetoric, taught some classes. It was a lot of fun gone on various publishing journeys since then, everything from tech editing to doing this freelance business where I edit everything from memoirs, nonfiction, fiction books, and volunteered at hip hop journals. I just do it all basically. If it's the written word, I'll edit it. <laughs> so, so you've actually helped over a hundred people uh, publish their own books in the last three years, which is phenomenal. Firstly, congratulations on that remarkable Thank piece. you. <laughs> So tell us about the origin of the actual career as a, uh, a coach and an editor. When did you actually shift and say, this is what I want to do when I grow up? Great. So I've always wanted to be involved with publishing as far as long as I can remember. But what's interesting now is it's harder and harder to get traditional publishing jobs because, you know, the houses are shrinking. It's down, down to the big five. And it's just an industry that is not doing as well as it used to in the past. So it's obviously harder to get jobs and the salaries when you do get the jobs are not the highest. So I went, thought I was going to go into academia and then went with corporate editing. And that was kind of not my favorite. There's only so many technical documents you can read before it gets boring. So it's like, I want to read people's books um, and I can't do this in my job and I don't want to move to New York for publishing. I love my home. My husband's here. I was like, well, the internet is available. My friend's like, you can start an online business. I'm like, whoa, that's a thing. And this was around, geez, when did I start doing this? This is around 2013 was when this all happened. So it was like, it was still fairly new. It was, it, it gets faster and more busy as time goes. So I decided to start the business, start a freelance editing. And I just started getting one client, then another came, and then the referrals grew until you're working with over 100 people. And then here you are. <laughs> And I took it full-time two years ago. So I quit my job. I'm now doing it full-time. I went to New Orleans and instead had these signs that said, follow your dreams. People were telling me about quitting their corporate jobs and they're doing their side thing and they loved it. And I'm like, okay, the signs are there. I, I've been working for long enough that I had an established client base and I just quit. And I've been doing it ever since and haven't looked back. Well, I mean, there's a huge need for, uh, you know, what you're doing, like coaching and editing. Uh, there's so many people who want to get the book out there. But the mm -hmm. ones who actually do, there's a huge gap between the people who want to get a book out there and the people who actually do. So yes. uh, one of the things I like to do is help reduce the gap by helping, uh, you know, provide education, resources, support. 
Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, your advice. So if someone has a book in their head, a lot of people do have an idea of a book, but they just, maybe they have a confidence issue, a mindset issue, like, oh, who would read my book? Or they have the self-doubt, <laughs> the limiting belief. So you do coaching and all. So what is your advice there in terms of the whole mindset shift, the confidence, the, the, mm -hmm. the realization that your book is worth publishing? Yes. First of all, I feel like every story is worth telling because let's say you could write on one subject. You can go into a certain subject in the bookstore, let's say a certain medical condition or let's just say love and romance. There's a whole section, at least back in the day in Borders, when they had more of the traditional bookstores, is on love and romance. There's so many different books and it doesn't, not all of them are going to resonate with everyone. So your story's worth telling whether it's fiction or nonfiction. There's nothing new under the sun, but people still keep reading it because it resonates with different people. Also, I find what stops people the most with writing is editing when they're writing, or they have that voice in their head saying, this is terrible, and then they give up. And I would like to quote Anne Lamont, um, write a really bad draft, just like let it be terrible, <laughs> and it's okay. Like it doesn't have to be perfect, that's what editing's for, that's what people like me are for, but it's in the sense that a first draft is that. Like don't get in your way, don't edit, because editing's a different part of brain than writing and just focus on the writing. I even tell people don't go back and read it as you're writing, just get mm. it done. And also deadlines and schedules really help with that. Like if you have a deadline and if you hire someone like an editor, or even you just tell a friend or announce it on social media, the accountability of I'm gonna get it done. <laughs> and I know NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month, has a recommendation with their resources that if you send a check to an organization, like you put a check and give it to a friend to an organization you don't support. Like whether it's a political organization you don't support or a charity that's maybe not aligned with your beliefs and say, send this check if I don't get it done, you'll be supporting something you dislike. And so you'll want to write, get it done. And that's an amazing motivator. That is such a creative idea there because who wants to support uh, financially those people they don't, they don't support in terms of like, like you said, politically or uh, other socially, et cetera. Great, great, great tip there. Uh, so a lot of people have writer's block and they get stuck and they just like sit in front of the laptop, they get distracted by social media and they get distracted by Netflix and the comfortable bed. Uh, so tell us, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously you've already told us some, some tip there, but specifically in, there, in terms of like writer's block or procrastination, any advice there? So with writer's block, I recommend outlining. My biggest thing is outlining. That's why I offer a service around it even just doing it on your own. If you have an outline, it's harder to get stuck because you have a roadmap of where you're going. I mean, you can obviously go a little off track of it. It's not like you're married to this outline. It's not set in stone. But if you slow down, look at it, write it out beforehand, and you plan it, if you have the end in mind, at least an ending, you'll know where you're going. You're less likely to get stuck. Also, there's different apps you can get on your computer that block various social media sites. I recommend that highly or going to a place without Wi-Fi or you turn off the Wi-Fi on your computer and then you write that way is a huge like help and don't write in bed. That's my general advice for people is A, it messes up your sleep pattern, scientists have shown, whatever, that doesn't good for you, but then you're gonna fall asleep if you write in bed. I tried that in college with essays and never really worked. So I recommend going to a coffee shop if you're stuck. A different environment can sometimes jog it, just changing your scenery. Also, there's something about the accountability of working with another person, like you and a friend meet and say, we're meeting for dinner, we're gonna write through dinner. You won't, like, co-writing's a big thing, so if you're co-writing with someone, you're being held accountable, and you're being forced to work in that space because your friend's there holding you accountable. But yeah, just working at a desk that you do every day with a set schedule, 
Um, Stephen King talks about this a lot. As you sit down, you write every day at 9 a.m., you train your muse that that's when you write, and then you get into the habit of it, and you just push through. And also some of it you just push through. It might be terrible or writing in a different scene. So let's say you're stuck on chapter three, go to chapter eight if that's what's inspiring you, and then just fill in the rest later. Sometimes can jog it. Awesome. Yeah, great advice there. Um, so when it comes to actually like uh, you finish the content, uh, you obviously have to do all the other stuff that's necessary for a book, like uh, the cover, the graphics, the layout, the back cover, the author bio, etc. So uh, what would you advise there once they've actually finished the written part of the book? Uh, what are the next steps? I'd say hire an editor. So even if you're an English major, I'm a writer. I still hire editors to look over my stuff. Um, so give, go hire an editor to do it. We, we do that. But also, like, start early. Like, even hire them before you get to that point. It's same with cover design or same with formatter. Hire in advance because, A, people get booked out. That's the thing. And, B, having those deadlines force you to do it. Like, a lot of editors will be like, if you don't make it by this deadline, you go back to the queue. And some of the more hardcore ones are you lose your money, you lose your spot. And that's really motivating to get the book done because you don't want to lose that. So book those in advance, but yeah, you go through an editor. Usually you start with, um, it depends on what you want, a manuscript review, which is just a brief feedback, depending on how rough the draft is, or you get developmental edit, which is a content edit, where they'll go through and tell you what's like, if there's plot holes, or if it's not clear to your audience. If it's a nonfiction book, is your messaging clear? That kind of thing. Then it goes through a copy edit, which is more of a detailed uh, grammar. So you go over the grammar, the diction, is this the right word you want for this? Is it the organization clear? And then the final proofread, which is after it's gone to the format or you send it back to the editor and they say, is there a typo? Was there something weird going on with the way it was set? And then you get publication. And the cover designer works kind of separately and then designs that. But the formatter is after the copy editing stage, but before the proofreading. And then if that's it, if you're self-publishing, that's the process. If it's traditional publishing, you can, there's different viewpoints of so people debate this. Some people say you shouldn't go to an editor. That's not being fair to the publisher. Other people say you want to put your best foot forward. There's a debate. I'm on the best foot forward side, but there isn't school of thought that you can just, as long as it's reasonable, send it out. And then you do the query letter. You do the synopsis. Um, if it's a nonfiction book, you write the big book proposal, which is like, can be 50 pages in and of itself. And you might want to write the proposal before actually doing the book. Again, there's different thoughts on that as well. And that's what you would do if you're more traditionally publishing the book. So you mentioned uh, when you're working with authors, there's these different uh, stages of editing. Uh, roughly how long would that process take? Have you found? I mean, you worked with 100 plus authors. Uh, how, long is it, how long is it roughly? It depends on the length of the book, right? A 100,000 word book is going to take a different length of time than a 20,000 word book. That's more of an ebook. Um, it takes on my end to edit it. Let's say it's an average size book around 70,000. It will take about, I need about a month once the start time to do it is. Uh, I can do it in a week, depending obviously on the length, but it can then take up to a month. What takes the long, and the copy editing is more like two weeks than the same with the proofreading. What takes the longest is the time between the cut developmental editing and the copy editing, and that's on the author's end. And that depends on how much time the author has to give to the book and how much time they have for editing, how motivated they are. Uh, develop, everyone thinks developmental editing, they'll get it back, which is the content editing. You'll be done in a weekend. Sometimes you're rewriting the whole book, which is not everyone's favorite thing. Sometimes you're rearranging whole sections, cutting sections, writing new ones. And that can take anywhere from 
depending on how much time you dedicate and how many edits, it can take a month to even a year. I've seen people do it. That's the far end of it. And I don't recommend a year. That's people who have kids, a full-time job, have more edits. But it takes a long time because you're sometimes giving your book a whole facelift. And the number one mistake I see authors make or misunderstanding is they think, oh, I can get my edits done in a weekend when it's at the content editing stage, when it takes really a long time because a good developmental editor will probably give you a lot to work on, especially if it's your first draft and not your 50th. And uh, could you uh, give a kind of a price range? Like, is it usually hourly? Is it for the whole project? Uh, if it's an average book, like you mentioned, the average uh, book length, uh, what are we looking at in terms of cost-wise? Oh, man, there's also every editor charges differently. Every project's different. It's really hard to give a set range, right? Um, I'll give you ranges for at least me and my team, and it's per word. So we do per word. Some people do hourly. Some people do a set price. Again, it, it's so variable. For my team and I, um, proofreading is two cents per word. Um, with a copy edit, it can be anywhere from three to five cents per word. And then with a developmental edit, it can be, again, from depending on the person, the length and all this, it can be about six cents per word is what we do for that. Again, it varies depending on the book and what we think of, of how, how much work is required. So you've already brought up the whole uh, debate of uh, traditional versus self-publishing. Um, if an author is making the decision and they're weighing the pros and the cons, uh, you know, tell us about that. <laughs> How can they make the decision? Okay, so I, there's a way I've walked through. It depends on what you want. So if you, I say go sell traditional publish if you want to be at the distribution, which means do you want to be on Amazon bookstores? Do you want to, like their actual physical bookstores? Do you want to be in Barnes and Noble? Local bookstores traditionally, I know there's exceptions, do not take self-published books. So if you want to be in an actual physical store, traditional publishing's great. They have more obviously power to get you there. If you want to be in the New York Times, if you want to be in a lot of papers, local papers, as a general rule, you need to be traditionally published. Even bloggers, a lot of them, you know, the book bloggers, which is a whole community, a lot of them don't do self-published books. So if you want the kind of media um, that like in the sense of book reviews world, that's kind of where you need to go. Um, however, if you want to make more royalties off your book, you can go self-publishing because with self-publishing, you get more money per the dollar for your book. While with um, traditional publishing, you'll get less, but there's less upfront costs with traditional publishing. Self-publishing, you have to pay for the cover, you pay for formatting, you pay for all the things. Um, also with self-publishing, it's you get, get it more control. You can choose your cover. With traditional publishing, you won't get the you don't necessarily get to choose your cover. You have a timeline with traditional publishing that's longer. It's like about two years once the publisher takes it. Um, with self-publishing, you can get it out tomorrow if you wanted to. I don't recommend that short of a time period, but it's possible. <laughs> um, then with uh, self-publishing, also, you don't have the gatekeepers. You don't have to worry about, will I get rejected? Will I get accepted? All that. Um, and also, you still can get great media opportunities with self-publishing. I've had my people approached by NBC Universal have been self-published. They've done talk shows, radio shows. Netflix have approached them. It's possible to still get the publicity. And with both cases, you need to do a lot of your own marketing because all traditional publishing will do more marketing for you. It's less than it used to be because of budget cuts. So with both, it's always helpful to have a good platform and to be able to market yourself. So that's not something you can get really out of in either case. So it really depends on how much control do you want over the book and how much patience you have for when you want it out. And then how much does it matter if 
uh, you get reviewed by a book blogger and how much does it matter if you're in the Barnes and Noble. It really depends on what your, your goals are for the book. Yeah, no, it definitely makes sense there. Uh, you know, uh, just based on experience and all the people I've interviewed, self-publishing is definitely the easier route and the, the route that most people are choosing nowadays. Um, I love your kind of your wisdom on how to get into the traditional publisher through an agent and, you know, what have you been your experience with the authors you worked in specifically for getting into traditional? Because I find a lot of my self-published uh, kind of guests, they wish they could have got traditional, but they just don't know how they feel overwhelmed. Okay, so this is a lot of what I've learned, and I have friends who've been traditionally published, so what I've picked up through my life, I am by no means like the definitive expert on this, but you need to have a really good query letter, um, and there's different, Query Shark is a website that people really recommend, and I recommend is where it goes over all the query letters, it has a huge list of them, there's like 40 pages or some ridiculous number, and it shows you like what goes, it's an agent analyzing these different query letters and telling you what's wrong with it, what's great with it. And that way you learn through osmosis. I know a lot of published authors said they just got published by reading that site that taught them what they needed to know. Um, so you obviously write a query letter, which is a certain format, like where you say how you're connected to the agent, you give a brief summary of your book with a hook, and then you say like the word count, um, it's brief bio if it's relevant, you kind of sign off. There's different resources for that. And you also do a synopsis. Some agents want a synopsis, and that's for fiction. With nonfiction, it's usually a book proposal, which is its own thing. Um, most I I've heard recommended 60 agents is the number of the list you should start with. Like, make a list like the top, like the top 20, the top, like the middle 20, and then the last 20 is like more of the safety schools, if you will, or it's your choices. And then you send out. A, a, keep sending out a couple, keep sending out, keep sending out, and until you get through the list, then send out to some more after that. But 60 is a good number to start with because it's like flying to colleges. It's always good to have a wide variety of things. And it's unfortunately, it depends on what's on trend. Does it connect with the agent? Do they have too many of that book? A lot of it is sometimes just luck. If you can go to conferences and networking, that's always good. The more connections you have to the agent, the better your odds are. But the key is what I think to getting agents, just a really strong story. It's not even, especially with fiction, it's different for nonfiction, but if you have a really good writing, really good story that will pull you through even more than having a large platform. The most important thing is the writing strong, is the story strong, and that's the most important thing that will get you what you want, and that's what you do. And then the agent sells it to the publisher, which is its own process that I'm not involved with, but the agent definitely could walk you through. But an agent's definitely crucial. Nowadays, it's not really good your odds if you just send it to a publisher. <laughs> well, I know what I need to do. I need to interview some agents on my show too because I haven't had a chance to connect with them and, you know, get their insights and even some oh. of the, Yeah, so oh, if, you know any, if you know any, yeah, let me know. <laughs> I would love to listen to that. That would be amazing. <laughs> there you go, there you go. Uh, if anyone knows one, I uh, put them in touch with me and I'll definitely feature them and pick their brain and uh, give you, all of our listeners some incredible wisdom wisdom from the agent's point of view. Uh, so uh, you got the book published. Obviously, there's a key area called marketing. You've already said that. No matter which uh, side you pick, you definitely have to be marketing, 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 and marketing. Uh, and of course, there's things like social media, email marketing, etc. cetera. What, what have you found is uh, really good for authors to market their books? And maybe give us some creative ways, uh, out-of-the-box ways, too. Okay, uh, I recommend, of course, blog tours. I don't know how familiar... Your readers are with that. It's where you go to different book reviewers or people who might be on your subject matter that might, like, say you do a cooking book, reaching out to chefs, 
and doing having them write a blog post around the topic of your book and linking back. Guest posting is always traditionally good. I've had clients do things like giveaways. So for example, they say if you buy this book to get on the bestseller list from 12 to 2 p.m., then I will, like, you're in a running for a vacation with me. You're in a running for free coaching for me if they're a coach. You're in the running from some gifts. And this is a way to, like, get on the bestseller list is if you get people to buy it once or tell your friends to buy it once at a certain time frame. That's been huge for people to get bestseller status. Um, they just promote a lot about it. Like, if they have a newsletter list, they send it to the newsletter list. Raffle, raffle Copter, the resource, they give away copies of their book. Even local, I think people really forget that they live somewhere geographically, so much is online, but let's say your book's about horses. Go to like a horseback riding like stable where people horseback ride or events, or if it's about dogs, there's so many dog clubs or shelters and sell at their events or festivals. That's huge for getting people doing it. You can set up your own book tour, even if you're self-published, you just reach out to local bookstores might be harder, but if you know someone who knows someone, that's a great resource, doing podcast interviews, just like blitzing it as much as you can the week before, the month after, even teasing it as soon as possible with your own community. It's just really huge seeing influencers, they'll promote it. Just like if your book's about fashion reaching out, fashion designers or fashion bloggers and say, hey, there's this book your readers might be interested in. Just get creative. It doesn't have to be book bloggers. It can be people that are writing. Even like if your book is um, like a horror book, if there's someone who does like goth clothing, you could reach out to them or like a, like a director who has a blog that does horror movies. There's ways you can get creative that somehow tangentially related to your book. Just do it and tell friends and family and word of mouth. And don't forget your net local network connections are key too for selling it. Those are all solid uh, marketing tips there. I'm curious to know about the whole blogging angle. Uh, so when you're reaching out to bloggers, um, a lot of bloggers either want money or they want something in return, right? So how do you make it, how do you make it a win for the actual blogger when you want them to write about your book? Okay, sure. There's an actual one. So a lot of book tours, they have a list of all the participants, and then you promote them on your mailing list is a good way. Also developing a relationship first. That's 100% what's going to do. If you consistently, what I tell people is even a year beforehand, as soon as possible, comment on their videos, comment on their blog posts, write them occasional emails that are just like, hey, love what you're doing. Tweet, promote their stuff on social media beforehand and it buys goodwill. So if you're already like promoting stuff on Twitter with them, get doing Facebook Lives about them, somehow in sending people their way and sending traffic their way, it's, it develops goodwill and makes it more likely that they'll help promote your book. Definitely great tips there. Um, so I'd love to uh, cover the whole area of monetizing. Uh, a lot of people think they're going to make money directly through the books, uh, but a lot of people struggle with that uh, in terms of uh, making a career out of it. So uh, what are your thoughts regarding book monetization? Sure. Um, it's, either way, it can actually work with fiction or nonfiction. If you run a business, by read someone reading a book, it increases the no like, and trust factor, which we all know is why people buy from people. So if you spend the whole time reading someone's book, you really get to know them, especially if it's in the subject matter in which they're teaching. So if you're like a health coach and your book is around a health topic, it makes you so much more an expert. Um, it's a lot easier. My people have gotten radio shows, television, morning shows, all that. You look like an expert if you have a book. People can read it. You can promote it. Um, that helps a lot. Also, if people, you can have at the back of a book a link to your website or your opt-in, your newsletter list is a great way to do it. 
Um, it can lead to a sales page with sales calls. It helps you book out your coaching packages. So let's say you're a coach or you run a program or a course. You can say, hey, if you like this, my book, you'll love my course. And also because people have read it, they'll want to work with you. They'll be like, oh, I read your book. I want to really work with you because you helped me in the small bite. I want to work with you in a bigger bite. So that's a great way to do it. And also gives people a lot of clarity, I've been told, on like what they want to develop. So you write a whole book about um, how to fix your health. Then you suddenly get an idea of how to turn it into a course, which you can monetize and sell at a higher price point. And that might give you an idea for a coaching package, which you can sell at even a higher price point because it's one-to-one. So there's a lot of ways you can monetize it. It's just really great for funneling. It's great. Um, some clients of mine make a couple thousand a month even off the book itself, which is nice. So there's even the pure royalty factor if you get enough of a following around it. But yeah, it just really makes people trust you and makes you an expert of the field. And it's a great way of publicity. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. It's a great platform builder. And like you said, uh, becoming the go-to expert. You mentioned like a, a few of your clients, they actually do make a lot of money on the book sales itself, you know, a few th thousand what do you feel they've done differently? Because a lot of authors, they'll maybe become an Amazon bestseller, but then they'll kind of go to this high where they become a bestseller and then no book sales, they'll get discouraged and they'll just leave the books in the, uh, in the garage or something. So what have you found works in terms of getting that consistency month after month of actual book sales? It's promoting month after month. Okay. And it sounds like an obvious answer, but it works is so many people promote when they first release it the month or two after and that's great that's when you want to do it because it's fresh but you have to keep reminding people of it they keep doing facebook lives about it they keep mentioning to their mailing list they use it as their cover photo on facebook they keep telling people about it they keep pushing it. the thing is they just never stop promoting it they put it on their site really prominently the key is you just don't rest on it i think a lot of people are like oh i'm done or they get exhausted from it you just have to keep doing consistent, sustainable stuff or a couple times a week or a couple times a month, you just keep mentioning it because people are new to your list. People are new in your Facebook, your social media, your world, or they've thought about buying it, they forgot, but just constantly reminding people of it and sometimes doing fresh things with it, like a giveaway or uh, other elements of it to encouraging people to leave reviews is just key to keep keeping it alive. It's just constantly putting it in front of people's minds because a lot of people's mistake is they write the book, they promote it for a few months, and they think it's over. It's never really over if you want to keep mo making money off of it. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I can relate to that. Uh, so Sarah, how can people actually work with you? Uh, you've shared a lot of info and expertise and experience here on the show here. Uh, uh, there's the whole editing side of things, but you also do coaching. Tell us about uh, if an aspiring ones, author wants to work with you, how does that look like? Sure. I have different levels of packaging, which they're welcome to. I have something called the prologue, where they work with me to outline their book. This is great to prevent writer's block. It's great if you need help developing your ideas. I do it for both fiction and nonfiction. We get on a call for a couple hours. We basically outline your book, come up with the writing schedule, and give you the tools you need to just get started on it and get going. I also have the uh, bestseller, which is six months of coaching with Boxer, phone calls with me. Also includes the prologue and also a developmental or content edit at the end. Uh, and that's a great package if you just need help writing the book. And then my final one's the trilogy where you get everything I just listed. You get cover, you get formatting, you get also the copy editing, the proofreading, everything you need to go except for the marketing, which I'm happy to give tips on to get the book out there. And then uh, that's for the coaching and then also you have specifically just editing packages, right? 
Yeah, I have a team and I who do the editing. We do developmental, which is the content. We also do copy editing. And then we do proofreading for some select books. If they've worked with us before, we'll do the proofreading. If you're fresh out of it, we're less likely to do it. But we do do all three. And we also do all three for people. Awesome. So uh, if people wanted to connect with you, Sarah, how can they do that if they are interested in, um, you know, um, working with you? Tell us about your sure. website, social media, and more. Thebookishbox.com the is the best place. Just go to the site. It's all there. All right. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Thebookishbox.com. I'll have the link below. And uh, thank you, Sarah, for coming on that show and sharing all the insights. Uh, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. It has been a blast. Uh, so I look forward to people not just listening to this interview, but taking action and implementing, uh, booking the call with Sarah and getting down and, uh, you know, like she said, uh, transitioning to a different place, uh, you know, figuring out a time or day that works for you, make it public on social media, and maybe writing the check uh, just to force you to actually get started and not only get started, but get done as well. Uh, so thanks, Sarah, and thanks everyone for tuning into this episode, and we'll catch up with you in the next one.